My name's Rad, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Decepticons, transform and rise up! Calling Autobots! Calling Autobots! This is a battle protocol! Robots with emotions. Robots who can die. Hey guys, and welcome back to Transformers Tuesdays, the fanhole spinoff show where we talk Transformers every time and all the time. I'm Mike uh, Thunderwing. I'll be your uh, host for this episode. And joining me tonight are... Hey, what's up? This is Derek. Derek W.C. Hey, this is Justin. Hey guys, this is Tony. And... Yeah, I got nothing. Bye. Bye. Tonight... Uh, on this episode, we will be discussing the 20th anniversary Transformers Summer Special put out by Dreamwave. Uh, shockingly enough, during the 20th anniversary of Transformers, uh, basically, like it, it was a like uh, a, a one-shot comic that had like four different stories from different corners of the Transformers, like you know, continuum. Uh, and basically like kind of promoting the books they already had out and also uh, putting forth like some offerings for potential future books that they were going to put out, but never did because Patley needed too many Porsches. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I thought this was a nice, you know, kind of weird, not weird, but like nice kind of odd artifact from era that i thought you know would be an easy show for us to do and discuss and i also know that derek has a fondness for one of the short stories in this so like i figured you know this would be a nice uh little discussion but uh yeah the uh the 20th anniversary transformer summer special was released in 2004 by dreamwave productions and uh it's got like i said four stories uh, one taking place in their generation one continuity one taking place in their energon continuity uh, one taking place in robots in disguise continuity, uh, the, you know, the, uh, car robots slash robots in disguise, like, you know, uh, show. And then one taking place in beast wars continuity. And, you know, back then those were the, f- you know, kind of four main continuities. There was no live action movies. Then there was no aligned continuity. There was no Cyberverse. There was no animated. So, I mean, you know, Transformers has come a long way since then, but uh, they I guess they they planned to do more of these like they wanted to do a winter special and like they they even like promoted it right before Dreamwave went bankrupt. But obviously that never happened. Uh, Like, well, before like we get into the actual stories, like like I picked this up off the shelf. Like, what about you guys? I remember Um, like Burns stealing this like two or three times in the store before I bought it. I don't know. Just something. I don't know, just something kept me from buying it the first couple of times. And I just kept, whenever I was in the store, I would always like wander over and flip through it again. And I eventually bought it. And then when I bought it, I think I read it like one more time and then just, you know, put it in a bag of board, filed it away and just completely forgot about it until you guys, you know, brought it up. Yeah, I, I imagine it has something to do with the 495 US price tag. 
that made you put it down, you know, because it's like that, that, that's that's what I always remember about buying comics back then was like you were on that like curveball where you were, you know, some things you were used to, you know, whatever it was, you know, buck ninety five, I think, is what most stuff was around then or some of the stuff started being two ninety nine or something like that or two fifty or whatever ungodly price it was back then. And and is much more now. Now, on average, you're paying four ninety five an issue, whereas back then it was kind of like, oh, like like I, I think I had this ritual where I would put all the regular priced comics up front because I was collecting those titles and I'd put them all at the top of the stack. And then the, the, the books that I was always kind of like, eh, this Fist of the North Star color edition is like like 15 20 bucks you know and so i put it on the bottom and it's like if i if i didn't have enough or whatever then i would like chuck the more expensive things or something like that and that's why i ended up missing a few volumes of that but i feel like this was one of those same things where you'd be like 4.95 you know like that's that's one of those things where you're like oh man you know like so i mean that's but i mean i did i i i think i did I think that week I did just kind of chuck it in with all the other stuff and, and get it. Cause I'm pretty sure like those transformer books and GI Joe books at the time, uh, th- those were pretty, I guess, high priority for me. Um, yeah. Um, probably around this time, uh, I was very big into the Unicron trilogy comics that they were doing mainly because the story was better than the cartoon. And, the art was also really good. Uh, it was being written by Simon Furman, so I mean, there you go. So I was really into the Armada stuff. And I wanted to get this, and I don't know if it was just my area, or I seem to remember Wizard saying something about this. And like, at some point, this book actually got kind of hard to get at some point. And I guess I missed like the big you know, release. I may have missed that week. It might have been a week that I wasn't getting a bunch of comics. Um, this is actually back when I was reading pretty regularly a lot of different titles. And it might have just been an off week where I wasn't going into the shop. But yeah, I never got my hands on it. Um, but one of the main reasons I wanted to read it was there was a Robots in the Sky story in it. <laughs> we'll get to that. But um, yeah, I never actually held it in my hands. And like honestly, totally forgot about it until uh, Derek pointed out tonight that that's what we were going to go over. So uh quickly read it and um yeah this is this is my first time actually reading it even though i was aware of it existing about that yeah and this aside from i should point out that aside from the the last beast wars story none of these stories have ever been reprinted anywhere like uh the beast wars story uh, was reprinted in like a best of don figueroa like collection that idw put out eventually oh. although i feel like like they they put it out um like right after they got the license and i feel like i almost feel like they should have like asked him maybe like did you actually get paid for this like story like Mm. i don't know so but i guess like if he if if they did ask him and he said it was okay but well i mean and the thing is is like uh dreamwave didn't do hardly anything with the robots in disguise except for this this one story uh they had their their armada verse stuff their unicron trilogy stuff but Energon got canceled, like, very abruptly. It was still in the middle of a storyline. And... Well, everything was, like... But oh, I was going to say, this this issue does have, like, a sort of, like... They had a, like, write-in thing. Like, do you want us to do a Beast Wars series or a Robots in Disguise series? 
series like and like based on the strengths of these two stories and like i think beast wars won pretty handily yeah but like they couldn't even like you know do a beast wars series before it you know it was shit canned so or Dreamwave as a whole was shit canned but uh, yeah, let's we'll, we'll go story by story and like you know chat a little about each one. So I'm gonna I I got the wiki pages up and most of the summaries are pretty short and to the point. So I'll I will read uh, the summaries for those stories and we'll talk about them. So the first story is set in their Generation One continuity, um, and it's it's called Welcome to the Jungle. You got funny games. <laughs> And uh, it's written by uh, Brad Mick with Adam Patek. Brad Mick is actually a pseudonym for James McDonough, uh, who is, you know, in I guess for some reason he felt the need to have a pseudonym to like write some of his Transformers stories. I think because he was an editor, too, and maybe he thought it was like a faux pas or something. But I, I don't is know. It, but, is it Patek or Patek? Or Patek, yeah, Patek. Yeah, I don't know. Patek. Yeah, I don't know. I've never said it out loud before, so yeah, yeah. But uh, um, I think I'm obliged to say that Patley did all the art in this story. <laughs> <laughs> but but the the TF Wiki, which is known to be inaccurate on occasion, also says that uh, the pencils were by Patley, the breakdowns were by Joe Nig, the inks were by Rob Armstrong, the backgrounds were by Edwin Garcia. So. If you want to ignore all of that, I still say I think Pat Lee did all the art in this. No, I'm joking, of course. Like, uh, he probably did very little work for this. But, uh, uh, yeah, and then the colors by Alan Wang, letters by Ben Lee, and uh, that's basically all the essential background information. But here's the synopsis. On the planet Beast, Megatron battles against Razorclaw, the last of the Predacon team to be defeated. Although Razorclaw is able to put deep scratches into Megatron's metallic skin, the Feral Predacon makes a tactical withdrawal into the dense foliage of the surrounding area. Immersed in the hunt, Megatron follows Razorclaw into the jungle, leaving his fusion cannon and air warriors behind. But despite Megatron's lack of weaponry, he is still the victor. Hours later, Megatron finishes the process of combining his defeated opponents into perhaps his greatest warrior, Predaking. So, yeah, this was uh, we kind of like saw like the fruits of this story, like play out in like the very last generation one issue that Dreamwave ever released, like where, you know, Predaking fought Bruticus and stuff. But I mean, yeah, this was supposed to be a setup for Megatron's like grand return, which like, you know, just barely happened before Dreamwave, like, you know, collapsed on itself. And uh, I remember like. Okay, first of all, like, you know, all kidding aside about the art, like, I don't I don't think the art's very good. Like, I mean, it's Pat Lee and or it's, you know, whoever else, Joe Nig and Edwin Garcia trying to salvage Pat Lee's work or whatever. And like, I don't think it's super impressive aside from maybe some like, you know, maybe the last page or some certain like shots. Um, The like, I remember, I think it was like Labyrinth, like was like really like singing the praises of this because he's you know he, he was like way back when because he was like you know oh it's so cool like megatron like you know hunts down the predacons and then you know beats them all and i'm like did he though like he did not on panel for sure like you know like 
he fought Razorclaw a little bit, and then like he went off into the jungle, and then he came back, and they he had beaten all of them. So like they could have had they could have this is something they could have stretched into an entire arc or a mini series or something like Megatron, you know, hunting the Predacons on some alien planet. And, you know, they, they've got all the cameos by, like, you know, the uh, Battle Beasts or whatever. And they could have, like, you know, wove that in somehow. But, you know, I, I guess as a, like, you know, teaser for what's going on, like, you know, check out the Generation 1 ongoing. Like, you know, it's pretty okay. But, like, I don't know. I'm not super impressed with this story. But, I don't know. What about you guys? You guys can throw tomatoes at me. But this is my favorite story from this issue. I'm sorry. Um, oh, oh. I know. Go ahead. Um, I honestly I don't have a problem with the art in here. Like I have more issues with the um those first two miniseries. Like I feel like there's more wonkiness in those two miniseries than there is in this little one shot. I mean, not that this is a great fabulous story or the art is amazing or anything, like I remember getting excited about the Battle Beast. I was like, oh, cool, they're going to do something with those guys. And then they're just like, they're on like a couple of pages, and then they just kind of disappear. And I was like, oh, I guess we're not, that's all we get, <laughs> just a little cameo. Like Mike said, this could have been like a whole like four or five issue arc of, you know, meanwhile on Planet Beast, you know, Megatron battles, you know, the Predacons. And, you know, he beats them one by one and just barely, barely manages to survive. I kind of wondered if this wasn't a little homage to, like, that issue of, like, the Marvel series where the Predacons show up and just, you know, beat the shit out of Megatron. I I wonder if this wasn't a little, like, you know, wink to that, only it's, like, the reverse. It's like, oh, you know, like, this time Megatron comes out on top. I, I don't know if that's the case. I, I always kind of had that in the back of my head. But, I mean, I, like I said, out of all the four stories in this, like, I like at the time i like this one the best and to be honest i I still like it the best i'm sorry i i don't think it's terrible but i i kind of feel like there's some revisionist history or something because i mean i i i love that marvel issue 25 and as far as i'm concerned yeah megatron's beat the shit out of and is the worst for wear and yeah, he's crazy, but the only person that defeats Megatron is himself in the Marvel issue. Like, by the end of it, Megatron, you know, he fights all of the Predacons. They combine into Predaking, and he goes fucking Galvatron crazy and, and blows him away with his fusion cannon. Like, he wins, like, as far as I'm concerned. Like, but in, 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 uh, in this, it's, it's decidedly more, you know, he's taming he, you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, we don't see anything else. He's taming Razorclaw, right? And and there is some cool bits with the Battle Beasts. I mean, that's that's kind of cool. I mean, I think, I, I think for me, like it just comes to the fact that it's wholly unoriginal to me. Like we've seen Megatron fight the Predacons before. We've seen the Battle Beasts in the Japanese Headmasters. Like by the time I was reading this. Like, none of those things were fully unique. And the fact that it's happening in the G1 continuity of Dreamwave, okay, fine. Like, that, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I get what you're saying, Justin. Like, this is still, this is still fun. It's still fun to watch Megatron kind of whoop ass and that kind of thing. Uh, the art is, 
I don't know. It's, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to be hard on some of the art in, in this. And, and this is probably not that much of an exception. I mean, there's some fun moments in this, but I, I, sometimes I think, I mean, I I think it's less so in this story than some of the other stories, but I, I feel like, you know, if, if you're a director or you're the cinematographer, when you are the, the comic penciler, I kind of feel like there's too many, I don't want to say close-ups, but it's like there's too many mishandled shots in this. Like, it's like, why? I don't know. It cracks me up because to me, it just feels like there's no forethought. Like, like who the fuck laid this out? Probably Patley. And, and, and that's, you know, sometimes you're like sitting there going, well, you know, don't you think it would make more sense so that you could, you know, see him dump the fusion cannon off his body. Like, why do we, I don't know. Like what, why do we have to have like close ups on some of this stuff? I mean, some of the stuff when, when you can see the whole thing, like when Megatron slowly marches into the blackness of the forest, like that is pretty decent, right? It's it, there's some kind of storytelling going on there and it's, it's sequential and you can make out the, the whole thing. But I mean, some stuff I'm just tired of the, you know, the close-ups on the eyeballs or the close-ups on the face or the close-ups on, you know, the, the hands and all that stuff. Like, to me, I I, I don't know. Like, so, some of that stuff just seems, like, super lazy where it's like, oh, I'm going to spend all this time doing the opening splash where Razor Claw like, s- slaps Megatron in the face, and then I'm going to spend some time, you know, with all the battle beasts and shit in the background of that. But then after that, it's like, I don't know. The, 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 so, some of the, the stuff just doesn't doesn't seem very, you know, I don't know. It's it's my go to when I'm I'm not happy with certain things. It's like I just feel like the storytelling and specifically like the the choices that are made, like the the camera angles, the focus, the you know, I guess what all the artists refer to as, you know, the 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 vertices like they're, they're all over the place and feel like really wonky and weird and that's why i think people like mike are like oh, i don't like the art in this and it's like you know it's one of those things like you you don't know it but your brain did and it's like why you know i don't know it just it just kind of looks you know i don't know that that scene where he's 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 aiming his fusion cannon at razor claw's butt or whatever the fuck's going on there like i, I don't know like that that that, that 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 whole thing like that that to me is like I, I don't know how to explain that, but that that image is like the definition of what I'm trying to convey. It's like, why do you need to focus on that from that angle? And and does it does it make any logical sense? And it's like, and 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 I I feel like it's all off because it's like there it's like the fusion cannon is on one line and then his arm pointing at him is at another line and razor claws at another fucking line and none of those lines actually converge to a single fucking point so it looks super fucking wonky never mind the fact that his arm anyway it's like you know like pat lee is you know and this is not i'm not i'm not trying to knock anybody because i get like pat lee has a cool sheen or there's there's cool things about some of these images here and i'm not trying to take away from any of that and i'm not trying to slam rob liefeld either but it's like because there are things about his art that i think are cool too but i feel like you know pat lee is kind of like the rob liefeld of transformers as far as like you you either admit you got into it which i fully own up to when this came out right but 
but when it comes down to like looking at it critically, I'm, I'm I don't know. There there are things that I just I can't unsee, you know. And and there's the, the, to me like a lot of those proficiencies are lacking. It's it's all it's all show, and 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 the skill is kind of. Uh, close to non-existent, except for the fact that there, as as Mike has gone to point out, there's probably a lot of you know ghost artistry that's trying to, you know, make the front man, the salesman, or whatever you want to call him, you know, make make those stories look as as good as possible. Because I think I think some of the concepts of this should be awesome, but it's like that last page, like. That last page should be epic. Like you should see Megatron with Razorclaw over his shoulder. Like he's 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 won. But you know that's all in my head, right? Like that that's that to me would be the best part of this story, and that doesn't actually ever get penciled. If that makes sense. Like you've got the little swamp thing panel where where all the birds are like, oh shit, Megatron's coming, right? And then you've got the panel of all these Nimrod seekers that are like, and then you've got Megatron's eyes coming out of the forest. And then you've got a, like, I don't know why you need this twice, because then you've got the close up on the one seeker going, a double dur, like for whatever reason. And then Razorclaw gets thunked over. But it's like, I don't know, like, I feel like that, that, and then he puts the cannon back on, but those were all, like, super duper close, like, and, and I was just kind of like, I don't know, there, there should have been something more, but it seems like they wanted to save that for the last page where he's, he's in front of Predaking. King, but even that, like, what, see, to me, that, that, even that last page, it has no forethought put into it because it's like somebody started drawing Predaking and then went, Oh shit, Megatron needs to be in this because he's got all the dialogue. So they stick a little tiny nugget of Megatron's the back of his head in the far right lower corner. And it's just like, I don't know, man, like that, that kind of stuff. Like when, when I look at it, like super critically, I think is, you know, e- even the panels, it's like they, they, they don't even bother to, you know, like like there, there can be reasons why you're breaking the rules. Like like if, if you're like saying, oh, this is for, you know, I don't know, a uh, psychological effect. Right. Like that, that, you know, the, the the way the panels flow don't fit your standard you know, I don't know, like say, say like a nine panel grid. And if you break that format, you're, you're doing it for some kind of story purpose. But I feel like here it's like they're breaking the rules cause they're fucking lazy. Cause they didn't think about it before time. It's like, Oh, we need Megatron to talk. And I, I feel like they drew Predaking first and then they realized, Oh, Megatron has all the dialogue. They put a little tiny freaking screw head. I mean, for all, you know, that little tiny thing in the bottom, right? Is is the head of a screw, not a screw. I don't know what I'm thinking of, but like a little a little ratchet or whatever, right? Like, and 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 then they they went, oh well, we need Megatron to say some more shit. So they put all these like phony ass panels on top where there was just going to be like moonlight and stars, you know, and and none of them are in any alignment, and and if they're disjointed, like. What what's the reason for the disjointment? I mean, clearly Megatron's supposed to be 
the victor here, or at the very least, he's the man in charge. So, like, why would you... I mean, imagine if this was General Patton giving a speech. You wouldn't have, like, a bunch of disjointed panels for psychological effect. Like, I, I don't know, maybe, you know, to me, I'm just probably thinking too much about it. But, you know, that's just... Uh, that part of the, the story, I think, is... I don't know, the storytelling of the the artist is, it, you know, the, the way it's laid out, I think, is really poor. And I would forgive everything else for the the sheen and the, the, the kind of, you know, the fun of it and everything like that. But but I, I just think the way it's laid out is is poor. So basically, Derek says he loves this, uh, this story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, the only thing I really have to say as far as my major gripe with this. OK, we're getting the idea that Megatron is a badass and that's fine. He's. One of your main characters, he's the main antagonist, so he's got to come off pretty good, you know. I mean, he can have, he can have his moments of weakness, but this is not one of them. He's supposed to look badass. Got it. Also, building up the Predacons. Hey, sure, that last panel with Predaking being all lumbering and huge and super detailed—that's awesome as well. But like Razorclaw, during the whole fight, and I understand that was the point of the story—is that he's been reduced to some bestial state. He's not exactly himself. <clears throat> but at the same time, like, why couldn't he have been kind of feral, but still a character? Because he didn't even seem like a character. You know, he just keeps lunging and attacking you know, for, like, all of Megatron's, you know, oh, what is he, well, I have a worthy opponent. He is strong. That's why I came to fight. It doesn't really seem that way. It seems like he's just fighting a wild animal, which, sure, that would be a fun test, a, a good workout. Why would you want him on your team? You know, like, why do you want to fix him? You know, it's like, because of memories, because, hey, Razor Claw's a cool guy. We still have drinking. Um, it would be nice to see some of, like, maybe Razor Claw's, like, reasoning, you know, because he's still a fucking robot lion. <laughs> you know, pretty advanced mechanical form. So to me, like the 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 quick exposition of like, well, he had to play a beast, and he was reduced to a beast state. It's like that kind of doesn't wash. It's like I I want I want Razor Claw to be cool because if he's not cool, then why do I care if he's a part of Predaking? If like you know that doesn't make Predaking cool, you know, like him being a little bit more of like you know. Maybe fighting with his bestial side, you know, being like the tactician that he is in G1, like, you know, stories by our tech specs and having like, you know, this uncontrollable rage, that would be really cool, you know, and it would also um, be a good juxtaposition with Megatron, who is in control at all times during this fight. It would seem better because you have this enemy who is thinking, but he keeps lashing out because he can't control himself, and Megatron more or less just talking him down. And that would have been, I don't know, a little bit more an engrossing story than just, you know, Megatron kills Kitty Cat. You know, he, he, you know, <laughs> he smacks him down because he's been a bad boy. Other than that, like the art, um, it, 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 it's, it's early, like 2000, late 90s, you know, early 2000s Transformers Dreamwave, it's puffy. Uh, it's it got kind of odd proportions, and I mean, it is what it is. It doesn't offend me. I like, you know, we we've talked about this in the past. 
when we first saw Pat Lee draw something for Transformers, it was like, and Wizard, it was like a little one-page splash page. And everybody was excited because there had not been that much detail in a Transformers picture in so long. We were used to, like, Generation 1 cartoons, for Christ's sake. So, yeah, like, it's hard to be completely fast to jump on it. But with, with how much good stuff, and especially in this issue, we have uh, Don Figueroa showing up, it does kind of hit a little bit below the mark. Um, it's fine for this story. Megatron doesn't look bad. But, like, you know, there's a couple of panels, like like uh, Derek was stating, that things look a little disjointed. Like one time when he smacks Razorclaw, his forearm is just fucking huge. And it just it looks weird. So it does kind of take you out of it here and there. But aside from that, the idea of Megatron being a badass is always fun. I get that. So that is one high mark. And uh, again, not until the, these comics came out, we did have the G1 comics, and there was many times when Megatron was shown to be a badass. But this was almost to a wider audience in a way, because Transformers was back, baby, you know? So I think a lot of people read this, and they, they got a, like, you know, a, a good showing of Megatron being cool, and being, like, calculating, and being, you know, really tough. So, I mean, there's takeaways. And, of course, at the end of the day, it's also a short story. So you got to pack a lot of shit in, in a very tiny space. So I will give them allowances on that, you know? I, I think it's successful in getting across its main point, but it could have been a lot better. I think it's basically my biggest takeaway. I, I agree with both, you know, what you and Derek have said. Like, I, I, I do think the art is, like, very weakly laid out, and I do think... Maybe maybe the story, the concept itself is like too over ambitious. Like maybe I mean you could probably do a you know seven or eight page story where Megatron like recruits the Predacons for something you know. But like when what like I said, uh, I think it was Labyrinth on Bot Talk who said like you know oh, this is a great story because like Megatron beats all the Predacons and I'm I'm kind of like yeah but off panel like I mean it's not like you see it like. It's like you said, Tony, it's like the concept is good, but like if you execute it poorly, like it doesn't mean anything. So, I mean, I don't know. But, you know, this this was this story was written to make us excited for Megatron's return in the ongoing. And like I, I'm trying to think of how I felt when I like read it like the first time where I was probably like, yeah, OK, good. Like, you know, he's going to come back and he's going to have the Predacons. But like, you know, in retrospect, like, you know, this doesn't completely work for me do you do you think if it was just you, you know how these are intended to be like either lead-ins or teasers for upcoming potential series like like if this was just a the encounter between razor claw and megatron and by the end of it it was going to spin over into like i don't know a, a Battle Beast series that exclusively featured Megatron and the Predacons or whatever, or or somehow tied into, you know, continuing arcs in the, the G1 comic where you would see, you know, more issues where he individually goes after each Predacon and then by, you know, I don't know, issue three or issue four, we finally get the page of him, you know, standing triumphant and having assembled Predaking and all that stuff. Like, like, do you think that would have been an execution that would be more to your liking? 
Sort of. Well, like, well, first of all, I don't think they could sell a Battle Beasts like miniseries. So they'd probably have to sell it as like a Megatron like miniseries yeah, featuring yeah. like the Battle Beasts or something. So, I mean, yeah, that would be exciting. Like if were I doing this story. I would only have him fight Razor Claw, basically. And, you know, that by the end of it, maybe he defeated Razor Claw and that's it. But like, you know, they have to rush it in, get the Predaking shot at the end. So. And, you know, like speaking of like weird layouts of art and stuff like they kind of like you can barely see it, but it's like it kind of like you can intuit that like he's forming Predaking inside some kind of stony castle or something at the end, like, or some kind of stony chamber. And then like, I guess Pre- just so Predaking can like burst out of it, like outside, like, even though we don't really even see that, but like, that's kind of what I got from that last scene. But I don't know, like over ambitious and like the layout could not like, you know, support what, whatever the script said, I'd say. I, th- I think that was an homage to the episode where they did go to Planet Beast and Headmasters because the 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 fact that they do live in castles. So yeah, maybe that's he was probably, with yeah. the bad guy beast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask you, Mike, before we move on. Uh, one, one of the things that I kept harping on was the lack of any real characterization of uh, Razor Claw. Do, do you feel like that was a uh, point that as some merit, or are you fine with him being just crazy wild and just like just basically a, an animal? Yeah, you know he's kind of just a plot device if he doesn't actually have any characterization or anything. But I do remember like when he does show up again, like in the ongoing, it's like some clunky ass thing where uh, uh, Megatron basically like makes him like act out his tech specs or something where like, you know, Megatron's like, you know, eh, yes, razor claw, like, you know, good job, uh, you know, with the sneak attack or whatever. And razor claws like, Oh yes. Like I used my well-established patience to execute it, you know, like and stuff. So like, I, I was like, Oh, come on. Like, you don't have to like, you know, we get it. We get like what the character is like. You don't have to like, uh, laid on hammered into our heads. Yeah. Like, I mean, I enjoyed, you know, McDonough and Pat, Patik, Pat, Patik, whatever. Like, I, I enjoyed their, what, what they were going, like, what they're plotting, what, what they were doing. But, I don't know, their characterization was kind of, like, really on the dot, which I guess is to be expected since they wrote all those, like, more than meets the eye, like, profi- profile books and whatever. But, yeah, like, everyone would, you know basically say something you'd expect you could like ext- extrapolate from their like tech spec write up or something so you know like scar scar is basically walk around going well i know i am arrogant but i am the best there is at what i do you know? <laughs> yeah uh-huh like it's a it's a little on the nose yeah hey justin i don't i don't want to throw tomatoes at you but do you want to throw any tomatoes back at us as far as like any any counterpoints since you you said you did enjoy the the this first part not really i mean you make valid points uh as far as the art goes i mean even my big problem with uh lee is that anytime it draws a transformer it's like they're just these big fat blocky boxes most of the time like there's no there's no like grace to them i mean it's it's like in order to like convey like their size he just makes something like these like chunky looking things with like these huge like 
you know, it's like everything is big. Like they've got massive fat fingers and it just looks, I mean, that aspect of it has always been like odd and off-putting to me. So, I mean, like I said, I think, like, I don't have a problem with the art in this. Like I said, I, th- I have more issues with like the, those first two miniseries. I think there's more, more problems than those two. But like, I, I mean, I'm not going to stand here and be like, oh man, like he's the great. But kind of like you said, Derek, like, at the time, like, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not going to lie either. Like, I bought into the hype. Like, I was, mm. you know, I bought those comics, and I was like, oh, man, this art's great. But then, you know, it's like five or ten years later when you're, like, going through your long boxes, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember buying this. And you you read it again, you're like, well, this this isn't that great. Like, oh, like, that's, ooh, ooh like, this panel is, ooh, that's, that's bad. But like this, this this little special, maybe it's just because it's like just a few pages. I don't think it's like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have enough bad. rope to hang himself with with just yeah. those few pages. Yeah. Well, as the fan holds gatekeeper of liking things much more terrible than this, I I, I feel very very much uh, content to say that you are not liking something completely terrible. I've liked much worse, so I'm not going to sit on your parade for for enjoying this story. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not uh, you know th- th- your feelings is... are bad and you should feel bad. Let's move. <laughs> on. All right, all right. Well, I was gonna say this is fine, but whatever. You may you may want to throw tomatoes at me when I point out like which one of these is my least favorite, though. That's okay. I mean, I mean, I I I I, I have a strong uh, constitution. It's fine if if you don't <laughs> like my my favorite one. All right. So, like on that note, let's move on to the second story which is uh, titled Perspective. And uh, it's it's the only story in this uh, little anthology that's written by Simon Furman. Uh, and it, it's also credited based on an idea by Aaron Archer. Uh, and uh, it's penciled by James Reyes, uh, inks by Eric Sander, uh, colors by Elliot Kravchik with Sigmund Torrey. And uh, the flats were done by Kenny Lee and the letters by Ben Lee. And uh, uh, yeah, so this, in case anybody and anybody doesn't know, Aaron Archer was like the product head at the time for the Transformers toy brand. Yes, uh huh. But uh, yeah, so this is this is set in their current in the Dreamwave continuities uh, and Dreamwave comics is like Armada slash Energon continuity, and it kind of it's kind of a standalone story that takes place during like you know probably people like set it during like a six month like time jump in the comics, but. Um, I'll just read the synopsis and then we'll talk about it. At Decepticon Orbital HQ, after Megatron has sent his minions to find data on the Autobots Omega Supreme project, Snowcat explains how he cleverly snuck into Ocean City, but before reaching his target, fell victim to a subsea earthquake that disrupted his agenda. In reality, he was defeated by recklessly driving into a wall and being crushed by falling pipes. Slugslinger explains how he cleverly snuck into Ocean City using a sluicing duct discovered by Shock Blast. But before reaching his target, he fell victim to an electrostatic security perimeter. In reality, he was defeated by a torrent of waste being flushed out of the same tube he was using to break in. Sharktacon explains how he cleverly snuck into Ocean City, but before reaching his target, he fell victim to a strategic lockdown protocol. In reality, he was defeated by Kicker and the Energon Saber. Megatron, able to determine that each of his underlings were lying about their defeat, 
concludes that despite the three Decepticons being equally unsuccessful, Slug Slinger was the most adept at creating a sound lie, and thus Slug Slinger is promoted to his senior lieutenant. So yeah, this is probably the most, like, one of the most standalone stories in this, like, thing. And it's, like, you know, it was a cute little, like, tale about uh, Decepticon culture, I guess, at its heart. And, uh, like, I, I don't, like, Derek, I know you said you, you really enjoy this story. Yeah. So, like, why don't you, like, lead us off with this? I mean, you know, I'll just give the uh, rah-rah, sis-boom-ba perspective on this. But, basically, it's, it's the only story written by Simon Furman. I think it's the best story of the four that are in this issue. I also, I mean, th- th- this may have gotten bumped since I wrote the list, maybe because there's certain IDW issues that I'm really fond of. But at the time I wrote a top 10 Transformers comic book list, this was my number 10. And and part of it is because, you know, it's unique. It deals with the, the Energon universe and continuity. So that, you know, makes it stand out from, from other stories. And you can kind of say, Hey, my, my top 10 list is, you know, has a bunch of unique selections, right? There's, there's that aspect to selecting it. But I mean, the, the main reason why I like this is it accentuates what I, you know, to me, it, it, it's, I, I don't think it's hypocritical of me, but it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where this takes the aspect of Decepticon culture that I loved so much in Beast Wars, right? The thing about, you know, Tarantulas, basically, you know, it's like, you know, Tarantulas didn't get taken down, you know, uh, for being disloyal. You know, it's because he, he was unsuccessful in his attempts. You know, I, I can stomach your treachery, but not your incompetence. And like, that's that's one of those things, right? Like, like that's that was one of those like kind of I, to me, you know, it was like one of those expanding universe building, mind blowing things about Decepticon culture, right? It's it's fine. I expect you to betray me, but I, what I don't expect is for you to be incompetent. And because I love that so much, and it, it th- this has its own unique spin on that, right? Because you know they they all go to Ocean City, you know they they all botch their attempts. They're all lying, cheating, stupid fucks. They all lie to their commander in chief or whatever, right? Like, and the thing of it is. He's not like super pissed that they all lied to him. It's just, you know, by the end of it, the thing that I think is great about it is Slug Slinger gets promoted because he's he's the best Decepticon. He's the one that basically tells Megatron the most believable lie. And, and he's rewarded for that. Right. Because, you know, it's like and Megatron gives them all a reprieve because of that. At least one of you had the good sense to tell me a bullshit story that that had like very you know no holes in it and and you've twisted the truth you know to your advantage and thus I'm I'm respecting you because you are a Decepticon who is good at deceit hence Decepticon you know like I I don't know like I mean it, to me it's it's very simple but it's just like I I I like that concept and as far as the art and the the story itself, I mean, it, it uses some tricks, right? From from I guess what you'd call like New Millennium 
comics or, or 2000s comics or whatever era you want to say. Like, I mean, but I think it's done for the purpose of the story, which is there's that one panel of Megatron that they focus on over and over again, where he gives those three word responses to each of his lieutenants. And like the reason why that, you know, it's like it works because he's got that same look of flat disbelief, you know, it's like every one of their excuses, you know, it's like, well, it was it was the subsea earthquake Megatron sub C earthquake you know like like he's just you know he's kind of like it's basically like he's doing the the dr evil thing he's like right you know and it's like <laughs> it's like they're all and and that to me that's that that's part of the story because it is humorous i mean this is this is sort of uh, pulling from that zeitgeist where the the japanese versions of transformers like Megatron is dangerous, but like these lieutenants are in some sense, there's a certain aspect of comic relief to them. In some sense, they're all kind of Japanese waspinators. You know what I mean? They're all trying to do something and they all fuck it up and them fucking it up is kind of funny. And and Megatron's the straight man, kind of going, you know. And then I don't know why I hit some kind of electrostatic security perimeter, which wiped out everything. And he's like electrostatic security perimeter, you know. And 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 that's just I don't know. To me, it's like it's in threes. It's funny. Like that's it, it fits all those things. And yeah, I don't know why. I know everybody thinks he's an annoying little fuck, but guess what? I like annoying little fucks at Transformers. So I, I think it's funny that that kicker, you know, knocks the shit out of Shark the Con. And then you've got the thing about strategic lockdown protocol, you know. But then the the brilliant part is then they don't do those tricks anymore because it's not it's not part of the. The, the humor thing. It's like they're actually taking it like they all get together with one another and they're like, hey, what'd you tell him? What'd you tell him? Like, how did what did he say? Like, was he mad? Like, well, he didn't say anything. Oh, I don't know. Like, we, we might be fucked. Like, I don't know. And then and then when he comes up, it's like, you know, slug slinger, a word. And everybody's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. You know, and then, you, the, the, you know, again, Maybe it's hypocritical, but this, again, you know, subverts your expectations because, you know, in, in the obvious story, right, it'd be like Slub Slinger, I, you know, I, I, I could tell you're lying and now I'm going to blow you away or whatever. But in this case, it fits within that kind of context of Decepticon culture where he's like, look, I sussed you all out. I know you're all full of shit, but guess what? You were the best one at being full of shit. So you're the one I want in charge of this unit. And then, the, you know, to me, it's just like and then it goes back to that panel again. You know, the, the, the disbelief panel. But in this point, it's promoting Slug Slinger. And then I love it because he's got the shit eating grin on his face. Like, yeah, I did tell the best fucking lie. Like, I am a good fucking Decepticon. Yeah. You know, and like, I don't know. It's cute. It's funny. The art to me, like, it's got the sheen and the cool looks. But I think the the storytelling of it is I'm, I'm never I was never like super confused at what was going on. And in addition, like. There's there's some aspect of skill because what the the lieutenants are verbalizing is decidedly different from what's going on in the visual. Right. And and that's that's pretty well 
executed as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, the, you know, obviously I'm biased. Like this is this is one of my favorites, but that's essentially why I like it. Me and Derek are secret brothers on this one. Um, <laughs> this might be the one Justin hates. I don't know. We'll find out. There's a lot to unpack on this story from a personal perspective because when I was collecting toys in the Energon line, Actually, Slugslinger and Sardicon were two molds I really liked for no reason. They just, I don't know, they spoke to me. I, 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 I just liked them. Um, as far as consequences, the expected idea would be like Derek said. You know, he takes Slugslinger aside, and that's how he gets his weird RV2 face from the toy. But that doesn't happen. And because it's a fun, lighthearted story. And the thing that makes this really personal for me is this, even though I never read this special before today, this immediately brought me back to a project that me and Mike had both worked on uh, 10 years ago. It was a uh, project called Mosaic. And it was short, one-page stories. And they ran the gamut of either being very serious, very, like, you know, pounding action or or character studies to humor. And I wrote many mosaics, and some of them did get published uh, on the website that they were on. It was like uh, the, the IDW boards, I believe is what it was. And um, a, a, a large portion of my stories were humor-based. I like a good, funny story. And reading this, it so reminded me of that flavor. It was like, oh, Simon Furman could do some comedy. Awesome. And, and like Derek said, just Megatron every time, just under the earthquake, you know, just, just mm-hmm, all right. <laughs> he, he's, he's like, seeing through all the bullshit, and all these guys are just lying out of their ass, and he, he's annoyed that they failed, but he's seeing who covers their ass the best. And that is just hilarious. It, it, it's like, and it's not an important story. This doesn't lead to the next realm of the next chapter. Like, like this is the Unicron War. No, it's just a fun little story that like fleshes out the characters too. Because like, we have Slugslinger being a great liar. We have Sardicon being kind of inept. We have Snowcat. You know, in the cartoon he does the whole like yodeling thing, and in the comics he didn't really do that, but he was very uh, arrogant, and he was like, I'm the best, but what do I do? I'm Snowcat, you know? And those all play into it really well. Uh, I didn't mind Kicker. Kicker was fine. He had Star Saber right next to him. So he, or, or Energon Saber in this iteration, that, that would be the, the remold. Uh, but it was just really fun. And like, when I read comics, I like to have fun. So this kicked off a lot of boxes for me. The art was good. Um, it flowed very nicely. Uh, again, you know, I'm not trying to fanboy Derek's position too much, but I do love how their story does not match the visuals at all. Everything they say is completely contradicted. You know, I went in stealthily and like, you know, there's some slugs like you're breaking the sonic boom barrier. You know, Snowcat like, yeah, <laughs> rushing in. <clears throat> it's like there's there's a way to do comedy and a way to have a tone of seriousness. At the same time, and this, like, Furman pulled it off so well. He he knows how to do a short story that, while it may not have ongoing consequences, 
it'll it'll mean something to you and you could take something away from it like wow okay i i know these characters better that's that's really cool and i i enjoy seeing the interaction and you know megatron still comes off like a badass he doesn't seem like a pansy like because he's letting these guys go he's like well there was one good thing to take out of this we have a really good liar we have a good decepticon who knows what he's doing as far as deceiving everyone um yeah, it's just it's it's like a small nugget of uh, humor can make something in a serious storyline shine so so well. So that's what I took away from it. It's like this was just enjoyable. I did laugh. I I I, I was like by the end of it, with with a, with a twist, you know, it was like you're my lieutenant now. It was like oh man, he, like even the even the Decepticons have like some appreciation. And you follow the Decepticon way. So, like, like for all these reasons, like, my, my, my love of these toy molds, bringing back uh, old uh, fond memories of working on Mosaic, doing, like, humorous Transformers stories, which don't happen a whole lot, you know, and they, they're doing it before me. You know, Simon Furman totally owning my ass as being funnier than I was. Like, this was just, like, I don't know, it was very nostalgic, in the in the weirdest way, it was like I, I just I just really liked it. What about you, Justin? Objectively, it probably is the best of these four stories. I never really read the Armada or Energon ongoings like that much. Like I would like flip through them at the store, maybe burn still an issue or two or something. But I I don't know. I just I just didn't care for the cartoon, so I just figured the comics weren't worth you know committing to i know you guys have kind of told me over the years that i should check them out and i still have yet to do that but yeah i i always thought this was a pretty good story and it's it's not like the the previous story where it kind of ties into like an ongoing you know arc or anything like this is just kind of like a one-off thing like you don't even need to know anything that's going on in the comics which i didn't when i read this like i'm just like okay this is like a one-off story it's humorous and, you know, I like it. I, I really like the art in this, too. But the the thing that I think Dreamwave always had a problem with, no it seemed like no matter what the book was, like even their Ninja Turtles book, for some reason, like all the humans in all their books look awful. So, like, Kicker's showing up. <laughs> I mean, first of all, he looks like he looks like he a freaking bodybuilder or something. And then you've got that close-up <laughs> of him where he's just like, it looks like he's going Super Saiyan while he's holding Star Saber a lot. I don't know. Like, I mean, this is not a new or, you know, groundbreaking insight. People have, you know, complained about this before. But it, it's just something that, like I said, it's not it's not all, it's not even just the Transformers book. It's like, it's all of their books, even like, even that Ninja Turtle series. Like, if you say, like, a human they they always had some kind of like weird ass like fugly looking thing going on. It's just you know it, it was the early two thousands and we were still on the like we were still riding the anime hype train and a lot of artists were still I my opinion anyway a lot of artists were still were still trying to like ape that or or tap into that and it just you know that that style just didn't work from some stuff and it just it never really worked for Dreamwave in in my opinion. Yeah, like I. I, I'm pretty sure there was some kind of house style mandate that like, you know, draw draw the humans like anime characters or something. Because that that did like, you know, 
whether it be, you know, James Reyes, who drew the, drew this book, or uh, Don Figueroa, or, you know, Pat Lee. Like, they always drew humans with, like, you would think, like, you know, the larger anime expressive eyes, but, like, since they, you know, maybe they were kind of, some of them were drawing out of their comfort zone. They kind of had, like, they looked more like bug eyes on a lot of the humans. Like What, so. what was the name of that Dreamwave book? It was, like, a Warlands? Is that it? It was, like, kind of a fantasy book? Oh, yeah, yeah, the rip-off yeah. of, like, Lotus War or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's mostly, like, humans and stuff, but e- even that, like, all those faces are just... <laughs> They're just, I don't, yeah, they're, they're laughable. They're just like, like, man, this, this is a book featuring like mostly, you know, humans in like a D and D setting, but like the, man, like, I mean, the art is okay, but your faces are pretty fugly. But yeah, I, I tend to agree with Tony and uh, Derek and like even you, Justin. Like, I think this is my favorite, like, or at least this is the best constructed story in the, this in the anthology, and it's probably yeah. my favorite one. Like, uh, uh, you know, I, I. The Energon comic never really got a chance to like, like it, it. As soon as it was like about to really get going, it would like Dreamwave collapsed in on itself like a black hole. So like you know, it, it was kind of disappointing that, ironically enough, this is the story that's probably at the farthest point in the timeline of the Dreamwave comic before it was canceled. Because even though it was released earlier, like the only re like Megatron doesn't come back until like the very end of the Energon run with like a issue before like Dreamwave imploded. So like, th- you know, and, this story couldn't have happened until he was back. At this point in Dreamwave, uh, they had just introduced Snowcat as a character. Yeah. And like Scorponok was kind of still in command of the Decepticon. So like the, this, this, yeah, this couldn't have happened, but I was going to ask, after this uh, special came out, like how much time was left on the Dreamwave clock? Like just a few months or what? Yeah, like maybe at the until the end of the like I think this came out in uh, July. Yeah, July, and then uh, let me see. Uh, this came out in July. And the very last issue of Energon, which was the very last issue that Dreamwave ever produced, uh, came out in December. Mm. So, like, yeah, by the end of this year, they, they were done. Five months, maybe? Um, I, I was going to ask you, Mike, um, as far as uh, collecting toys at the time, I know Derek had been out of Transformers at the time. I think Justin, too, maybe? No, I was I was buying Energon toys. Even though I was crazy, but even though I wasn't crazy about the show, I was still buying some of the toys, and uh, some of them I, I regretted. Like I remember buying Prowl, and I'm just like, oh, okay, Prowl. I remember getting it home and playing with it. And I'm just like, this sucks. I regret spending money on this. I, I knew you're. I knew you're like me. You kind of got into like inter, uh, Cybertron a lot more. Uh, they have some yeah. Kind of old. Um, but uh, Mike, like uh, for Energon. Would you agree that, like, Slugslinger and Sharknikon are kind of two standout molds that were actually pretty good? Yeah, and that they're unique molds to the U.S. toy line. Like, Sharknikon and Slugslinger were never released in Japan, and they never showed up in the Superlink cartoon. So, like, I always thought that was cool. Like, I liked, I remember I liked Slugslinger, but he was really annoying to transform. And in his jet mode, and you know, I always like to use this like description of cer- certain Transformers toys. His jet mode had the consistency of a warm Pop Tart. 
like <laughs> basically like you could like if you you sli- if you held his jet mode and slightly squeezed it it would just like crumple in on itself like yeah, I, I always used to call like that that design aspect of like characters like molds like slug slinger uh, there have been different ones over the years i call them explode formers because like <laughs> Transport, you really just had to pull every fucking thing apart, and everything goes everywhere. You have to like then tab in everything, and like like you said, the the, the vehicle mode was fragile. <laughs> yeah, and like like but, you uh, mentioned earlier, it's like in the toy has like its face is molded in sort of a two face kind of way, where he's got a monocle and a like scarred face on one side, and then a normal face on the other. But like here, he's just yeah, just normal faced. Yeah, just a happy dude. And and then yeah. like Sharkon has kind of like these weird plates on his head, like a turtle. Yeah, like thing. scales and stuff. Yeah, but no, Sharkon was a solid mold too. Like I I I was pretty heavily buying Transformers at this point, so I think I had like everything that appeared in in this issue, like up to and including uh, Omega Supreme. So and that, and that, they're they're all pretty solid toys and. I mean, the Energon, the only, the only problem with Energon, uh, for any uh, collectors who want to get past toys, is the uh, the double combination gimmick. It can either be kind of fun, or a totally wreck a figure and make it look stupid. Yeah. It was a fun That's play like, feature, but like none of those like double combinations looked that good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'm the, the worst one. And I know, like, even Derek would cry over this. Uh, not really, but just like, man, poor Rodimus and, and Prowl's combination. It was just like, hey, look, Rodimus is going scuba diving because he got flipper feet and big ass shoulders. <laughs> yeah, kind of looked doofy. Yep. Uh-huh. Most of those kind of, I mean, I don't know. Am I, am I biased? Like, did not most of those Enigma of combination things look goofy? Or were, were there some you thought were more exceptional than others? Oh, like the half combiners, like yeah. yeah. Uh, you mean you mean a spark of combination? Yeah, Enigma yeah. of combination didn't even have that. You're you're way too early for that. Yeah, spark. You know, you know, whatever. They they're combining, right? They're they're wearing you know, each you know, other's pants. Yes. You know what the best combination is? I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to sound funny. It actually looks good. Inferno with Inferno. Yeah, like it looks all uniform and shit. Yep. Yeah, he looks like a big. Voyager Inferno. He actually was pretty cool. Yeah, like it is so funny that like two of the same toy put together makes it look like a better toy. <laughs> is that a workaround that works with most toys, or you just think it works especially well with Inferno? Um, you could probably do it with uh, uh, Roadblock, who is basically Grapple. But yeah, I, 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 him. yeah I think I think Jetfire and Jetfire works pretty good too. Yeah, I'm sure if you got two of the same toy, they'd look better just for for the sake of having the same color scheme. Yeah, so yeah, yeah uh, but there was like uh, the 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 fucking uh, cliff jumper, Eastcomer uh, mold that was garbage. They they didn't combine. Yeah, well. yeah, that was terrible. That was like. There, there was I remember Beach Beachcomber was super short packed too, so like no one could find him, and I was kind of like, "Why would you want him? It's not a great mold to begin with." I mean, like, but yeah, there there was a lot of misses on like the the dual combining thing was very cool, but my favorite thing was the Decepticons having like their triple changer modes where 
They had a, a vehicle mode and a robot, and then they had basically a weapon or attack mode. I was like, yeah. that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. It was like, I don't know. Energon was a funky line. It was weird. But you know what, Derek? You know what it did have? I don't know if you had him. Um, it does have a full G.I. Joe size kicker with high wire. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. Like, I, I think it, I mean, every time I see, like, one of those figures or, like, wasn't there, like, a, uh, what's the right mic- word? Like, Micronauts or whatever figure? Like, so, yeah, so those, mic- yeah, so the, the, I, that, that always kind of looks neat to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was, I don't know if he's rare, but I remember seeing it in stores, but, like, yeah, he, he was a G.I. Joe size and he had a mini con, but the mini con was, like, deluxe size. But unfortunately, Highwire is a terrible mold, and he basically has the same transformation. He has a big wheel for a hand, and not, not, yeah, yeah. If you buy it, you're going to buy it for Kicker. Uh, I don't know, Mike. Um, you could tell me. Could Kicker hold the Energon sword? I don't think so. Like, he was way too small. Like, maybe the micro, I had the Microman version of him. And he came with his own, like, molded one-piece, like, Energon yeah. Saber. But, like, the actual Energon Saber toy, I don't think either of them could hold it. It was probably too okay. big for them. The the peg hole, the peg slot was yeah. too big. Okay. All right. I mean, he, he could ride it like a surfboard like he did in the show, but... <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I mean, hey, Kicker wasn't that bad. As far as, like, Kenny's, uh, Justin knows what I'm talking about. Kenny's and... Uh, you know, shows that they they're they're supposed to be annoying. Kicker was not the worst one. He, he was much better than all the kids in Armada. So I'll give him that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, especially in like Superlink, I guess like he's 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 more than tolerable. I think I think Brad Swale kind of like you know made him a little more whiny than you know he w- he would have been, but. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I mean, the kicker's not a, far, far not as bad as friggin' Ironhide, like who's oh, he, he's always he's hanging out with. So, like, you know, uh, I'll take kicker yeah, that, over that, Ironhide. Yeah, that that was probably the worst thing about Energon, and that that's why I like this comic so much. This, this, Whoa, this. kicker! It's me, Ironhide. <laughs> like Ironhide, uh, <laughs> kicker! It's me, Ooh. Matt Hill. I mean, Ironhide. <laughs> I mean, Kira Yamato. The fucking most fucking Autobot that ever lived. I mean, Havoc. And, and, and the worst thing was, is like, okay, he's a bad character on the show. But you know what? At least he's a good toy. No, he's not. He's not even a good fucking toy. All right. Like, well, uh, so to the uh, red story. Yeah, let's let's move on. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's I, think, I think like, visible head syndrome. Okay, that's enough about our right. <laughs> But yeah, like you know, we're we're pretty in general. We're pretty positive on this Energon story. But let's uh, let's see if, how we feel about this next story, which uh, takes place in the Robots in Disguise uh, 2001 continuity. It's titled Ultra Magnus dot 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 to the rescue question mark, and uh, it's written by uh, Adam Paddock and with Brad Mick slash James McDonough. Uh, pencils by Rob Ruffalo, uh, inks by Eric Sander, uh, colors by David Chong with Josh Perez. Uh, and, uh, the wiki summary for this is way too over detailed. Like it's like three times as long as all the other summaries. So I'm just going to like, you know, summarize it myself. Skybite and Scourge and a bunch of Predacons and Decepticons go to steal like a nuclear reactor or something. 
and uh, Optimus goes to try and stop them, and then uh, Ultra Magnus shows up, and then like Scourge threatens some humans, and Ultra Magnus re- remembers he's an Autobot, so he tries to save the humans, and then they beat them, and then they run off. I don't know what. The fucking art in this is atrocious. Like this is okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 basically what I was like. That's what I was basically leading up to. Like it's Rob Ruffalo. Look, he's he, like I said, he's Pat Lee's little surf. Like, like he, like, and Pat Lee was trained by Rob Liefeld, and so you got Rob Liefeld who trained Pat Lee, who trained pa- Rob <laughs> Ruffalo. So you've got three generations of shoddy art right there. Like, and yeah, it's it's awful. Like, it's terrible. Like, it's it's everything that's wrong with Pat Lee's art, but none of the friggin' style that like Pat Lee can use to disguise what's terrible about his art. Like so, mean, that, that opening shot of Scourge is pretty awful. I mean, it's like it's it, it, it's my criticism of Pat Lee. It's just like boxes and blocks, but there's nothing there's nothing that pops about it or or, or stylistic. Like it's yeah. just it's just a static image with like no style or flash or or anything. You're just like, wait, what? And his shoulder lodges are slumped for some reason. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like the boxes are also like not only are they like dull boxes, they're also like lumpy and rounded in places. Like somehow, like so it's do you, yeah. Do you, do you see the little sad face in Scourge's arm? Arm, yes. Is that a cry from hell from the artist? He's like, man, I think so. I think so. Because you know, I think I think he's sad because he doesn't have um, Pat Lee's like uh, ghost ghost (laughs) artists to come in and help clean up all this shit. Like that's why I was gonna say in his defense, I bet you that Mark Ruffalo's little brother Rob does not have like a bunch of cool uh, backup ghost artists to clean this up and make it look nice, but. Yeah, I I totally agree. Like this is this this is the worst. This is the worst one in the whole book, which I was kind of I think secretly what makes it even worse for me is I think I was disappointed because I think I think had this been good, I I kind of I mean, like I, I was trying to think about it, like outside of like car robot, you know, car robot, uh, manga, I think this is the only time in America they've ever tackled. Am I wrong? Like, I feel like this is the only time they ever tackled the robots in disguise stuff. Yeah. 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 I was kind of, yes. I mean, I was kind of looking forward to like, you know, you know, if it had been handled like Armada and Energon, or even, even if it was like super serious ors and Scourge was running around, stepping on people instead of, pointing swords at them off frame or whatever the fuck was going on there. If it was like real, you know, like, or a little more realistic, you know, then, then I think I would have been kind of intrigued by the whole thing, but you know, it's, I don't know. It just made me like really sad that this was like so bad. The the other thing too, is it, it felt like they couldn't, I think at least in the way that, that, uh, I'm going to call him Fire Convoy because I can't bring myself to call him Optimus Prime. But, you know, Fire Convoy and Ultra Magnus, like the the way they they interact, oh, yeah. that that seemed like that it was plucked from the the anime. You know, the fact that like Ultra Magnus was this kind of stubborn, kind of ornery guy. And it took them a long time to to do the, you know, fusion 
Ha or whatever the fuck they did on that show. But man, the the art. Yeah, the art's fucking atrocious. Like, I hate like it's not so much. I mean, I get what you guys are saying. Like the human beings don't look as good as the the Transformers and the Transformers look bad. So you can only imagine what the humans look like. But the, the page I hate the most is is well, I don't know. I can't decide which page I hate the most. But like the because the, the, I'm now I'm going back and forth over which page I hate the most. But I think I would say it's 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 got to be a tie between the page where like Ultra Magnus comes out and he calls Scourge an imitation Optimus Prime and at the very bottom like they couldn't be bothered to draw the the people in the building so when he gets knocked into the building by Ultra Magnus thus the story's trying to convey that you know, Ultra Magnus is there to fight the Decepticons and stuff, but but he's not too concerned about the human collateral damage. But since they didn't draw any humans, it's like there are these two dialogue balloons going, ah, somebody help. And I mean, if you didn't know any better, like, you know, I, I get that the, the Transformers have the boxes for their dialogue, but... Like you, you almost think that Scourge is the one going. Ah, he, Ultra Magnus pushed me. Hell, <laughs> so, I mean, because if you don't, if you if you're just reading it really quickly, right? You're just kind of like, yeah, I'm scanning the issue and I'm looking along, and then you're like, is Scourge asking for help? And then and then you realize, like maybe three or four pages later, oh oh, there were there were people in that building. And those dialogue balloons were for the people behind the cracked windows that you can't fucking see that were screaming for help. So so the other page is right after that that I hate because even then they don't even like really they don't really give it up because Scourge is pointing his sword at a human. But all he's pointing this it's it's so off frame like the, the sword is out of frame the the person is out of frame so all you see is like the bottom of their knee and a little like booty like and i'm just going to like that's the most important part of this panel like it, I, it, it's almost like I, I what they should have done if it was me right like i would have taken that second panel as bad as it looks and made it one panel and put Ultra Magnus in the foreground hunched over like a moron and then behind him put Fire Convoy and just make it one big panel so that you can see the sword pointing at this guy dangling from from a building uh, which you know is is kind of it should be you know horrific imagery but it it, it doesn't for some reason the 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 way it's drawn it just feels like really inconsequential because you never saw these people to begin with they were just dialogue balloons out of windows and then now it looks like some guy like i don't know was in his pajamas in this building or something and it's just like kind of like hanging there like hey what's up i'm in my pajamas i yeah i don't know like and and it's really bad and then and then even even when they have the close-up on the guy afterwards like I, I it, that's the textbook definition I think of what Justin was complaining about, where it's like he's he looks like he's putting on his shirt or something, but he's angry about it. Like I, but 
And that's supposed to be Scourge's sword, but it looks like Optimus Prime's shoulder, the way it's drawn. It looks, it looks like a square instead of like a pointed triangle sword or something. Like, I think that's the worst page, like this one we're talking about now, because it's like you got two, like, bland images of, like, Scourge holding his sword. You've got a bunch of shots of, like, Ultra Magnus and Optimus Prime from behind that look – because it's just like, what – why, why are you showing us from behind? Like what? It's like your your complaint is like who who was like, you know, like this is supposed to be like the camera. Like who wants to see like three or four different panels of these guys from behind? And then you got Scourge raising his sword over his head. And it's just like, I mean, what? It looks like he's exercising with the sword, and the sword is like, like crooked and wavy. It's oh my. I, I, like, I think that's the worst page. This is like retarded Tamino direction because. <laughs> Because what 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 this should have been like what 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 this is trying to convey is like see how he's he's scourge is pointing the sword but then the sword points into some other fucked up panel like what what they should have done was he couldn't be bothered to do a close up on the human being's face that's scared so that panel that's coming out of fire convoy's butt that makes you think <laughs> prime is like yeah I don't know caressing the dude's face or something as he sits there angry in reality it's the sword in his face right so it should be that tamino thing like where he he does the little pie cutaway and you see the the pilot in the cockpit so it gives you that that sense of oh i want you to see this mech but i also want you to see the 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 emotion of the person within the cockpit but i don't want to just cut to the cockpit and i don't want to just show you the mech i want to show you them both in real time and that if if it was me like one way i would have salvaged this or tried to is i would have taken that panel of the guy being angry in his pajamas the close-up i would have put that over the sword so it's like it's it's magnifying that moment. Like, like I, I would have swapped. I, I would have swapped. Even though I think that first panel is unnecessary, I would have swapped that first cutaway panel with the human being, and and had the I don't know, have like the sword going up Prime's butt or something stupid instead of instead of I don't know what. I mean, it still looks bad, but I, I would have flipped those or something. Even the I mean, motion doesn't make any sense. That first panel, it's like Prime is kind of like it looks like he's behind Scourge and he's walking over. And then the very next panel, it's like he's he's walked over in front of Scourge and now he's like hunkered down, like kneeling in front of him. Like why? I mean, but what about like the ending though? It's like they had this big fight. They had fight, and like you know, Optimus Prime is like, well, Ultraman is this reminds me of that time back when we used to you know be friends and. He's driving away, and it's like, oh, okay, okay, kind of supposed to be poignant, you know, like, God Magnus doesn't trust Prime still, and, like, he's driving away. And then Prowl and all the other Autobots show up, and like, whoa, Autobots, you took out everybody, like a boss, yeah. And, like, you know, Autobots was like, yeah, not just me, though. And he looks and looks away, and it's supposed to be kind of a flashback, but it's from a different fucking goddamn angle. He was driving away on the left in the first panel, then he's driving away on the right, so I'm like, has Ultraman is not fucking left yet? And he's still like driving down the same goddamn road. The, the, <laughs> like, look, look at the humans you know in the very last page. I mean, they look like 
Morlocks who escaped out of the X Men or something. I mean, <laughs> they're so like fucked up and sad. I mean, that guy's got like an eye popping out of his ear. Another guy's got a scar, and the other guy's what? just friggin' sad. Look at him. And like, yeah, the whole battle is like completely garbage. It's like there's like no energy. There's no like sense of urgency. It's like sequential storytelling. I have seen panels where like, you know. Uh, Derek was the one one time where Deathstroke beats the shit out of Batman, and you feel that you feel him beating the crap out of Batman, and you're like, "Damn, that was like a like an ass whooping." This is just like pink, pink. I'm going to beat you. Oh no! And by the way, the 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 fucking like Warblue saying, "No, help us." No, that wasn't the fucking people in the building, Derek. That's the fucking readers. They put that panel in for the reader. <laughs> oh please, uh, no, another. Another terrible action panel is the one where Ultra Magnus does his like jump kick, you know, his big ultra kick ultra, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't look like he's kicking the guy. It looks like he's standing on a giant head like of the guy. <laughs> like, Well, I mean, isn't that why they had to put ultra kick in big giant letters? Yeah, so you knew what the fuck so, was happening. So, so yeah. you knew what he was doing. You knew he wasn't just like, I don't know, farting on the guy's face or whatever he's doing. <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Show don't tell. It was like tell don't show because it's so bad. And like, like, like the 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 climax of this battle is that Skybite has like Slapper and like Gas Skunk like sabotage like Scourge's attempt to kill Optimus Prime by like having them like walk drag the like generator in between them. But like you can't, people. you can barely tell that's what's happening because like you know, you just th- see like little thingies up over a box. You know, what I mean? yeah. You, see, like, you can't, you can't, unless you know what the fuck those characters look like, and you can kind of see their color schemes. Like you can't like read what's happening there. Yeah, it, 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 it's like, and and you know, uh, the artist for the uh, previous uh, one, and you know what? Like let's just fucking say it. Like the first, like you know, uh, short story. There was emotion, like in in faces and stuff. You saw like you know, anger or determination by Megatron. You saw complete ambivalence by Energon Megatron. He's like, I'm over this shit. You saw fear from like the Decepticon. Which all these faces in this one are just like the that like there's like it seems like there's really no stakes in this fucking story. I was gonna say for the most part, like early Robots in Disguise was pretty episodic. So like you know if this was supposed to fucking sell you on the on them right. doing a, a robots in disguise like series and it does not do that and clearly it didn't do that because it lost horribly to like Beast Wars if I remember correctly like they said it overwhelmingly people voted for a Beast Wars series instead so I mean it's not like and even if they had the if they had like Figueroa drawing this, like I mean, like was this story gonna like make you excited for a Robots in Disguise like series? I don't think I don't so. It was poorly paced. Dialogue was clunky. You know, I, I hate to just shit on something so heavily where the bowl is full, but this is a full toilet of shit. It's a terrible story. And I, I think uh, it's safe to say that we all like robots in disguise. Like we no, think it's yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah but I, I feel like that one panel with the two fists and Scourge's face should be like two two primes, one scourge or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> there are now two Optimus Primes. 
Something <laughs> strange has happened. <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking at either. And did Tony, yeah. did you notice that whoever drew was, well, well Rob Ruffalo, obviously, but whatever he was, rep he was referencing a mistransformed Skybite because Skybite's like shoulder pads were like combined and up like a hood over his head instead of on his shoulders. Yeah. And like, I was like, what? And also, like, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about bad artwork and bad panels. The, the one panel where uh, x Braun in America, Wild Rider in Japan, whatever, is talking to uh, Ty. You know, she's like, he's like, yeah, I'm trying to keep uh, Sideburn slash, you know, Speedbreaker outside of uh, Megatron slash Gigatron's mouth. And, like, I don't know what the fuck Megatron is supposed to look like. Sideburn doesn't look like Sideburn at all. And I'm like, the fuck is this panel? <laughs> like, a couple of boxes, like Justin said, just a bunch of fucking smooth boxes with a couple of faces and, like, this big purple thing in the background. I'm like, the fuck is that? <laughs> and it's too bad. Like, I don't know. They could have done something, you know, interesting with the robots in yeah, disguise. Yeah, I... Like, I, you know, I I feel a sense of disappointment, you know, and it, it it's almost it, like they, they, they sabotaged them. So mm. like, well, they, they probably knew that people would pick beast wars, but like, you know, it's like they didn't even try. Like they gave, you know, Rob Ruffalo's obviously not, you know, uh, yeah, very experienced. Yeah. So they're like, Hey, you can do this one kid. Like, and then they give the beast Wars story to Figueroa. So, I mean, what, what friggin', you know, competition is that? Right. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. Disappointment is is, is a is a good word, Mike, because like the, the cartoon wasn't amazing. I, I enjoyed it for what it was, um, but the toy line was a, like great. It it was kind of the renaissance of car slash vehicle transformers. It's why Armada got made because we have been doing Beast Wars, Beast Machines for so long. When car robots came out, it was like, oh, yeah, we can go back to vehicles. That's cool. All right. So Ultra Magnus dot 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 to the rescue question mark is, you know, a piece of shit. So let's move on <laughs> to the final story in this anthology. Uh, is it an anthology if there are only four stories? Like, I guess it could still be considered that. But uh, is there a li limit? Like, I don't think do so. To, yeah. How many do you have to have? I mean. Creepshow too only has like three stories, so I think. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it's still I think it still counts. counts. Yeah, I was going right, to think well, of a trilogy with one really bad showing. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, story number four is titled "Ain't No Rat" and is set in Beast Wars continuity. It's written by Brad Mick and Adam Paddock. Pencils by Don Figueroa. Inks by Elaine Toe. Uh, colors by Espen uh, Grundinger. I, I, I don't know how to say that name and flats by Kenny Lee. Uh, and uh, the summary of this story um, with Megatron safely contained externally, the Maximals aboard the Autobot shuttle take a much deserved rest. Even Rat Trap eventually falls asleep to dream on Earth. Rat Trap panics his self-contained vehicle compromised by Dinobot 2. Dinobot 2 holds Rattrap in a painfully tight grip, despite Rattrap's attempts to appeal to any remnants of his attacker's former persona. Suddenly, Rattrap is rescued by Wolf Fang, Optimus Miner, and Bone Crusher. Rattrap is full of questions, but Optimus Miner simply tells Rattrap 
the three new Maximals no longer wish to fight. Rattrap wakes up from his dream aboard the Autobot shuttle. The nature of this dream is left as a mystery. So yeah, this was um, blatantly a setup for a uh, you know Beast Wars series that was probably already being written because they figured they would they probably figured there was no way that they were going to pick robots in disguise over Beast Wars, and uh, well, it's interesting because it's written by you know James McDonough and Adam Paddock, but they would leave Dreamwave very shortly after this was published. And uh, like si- they they were good. Simon Furman was going to write the Beast Wars story, and like he, he you know he he had to like use this story as a springboard, even though he didn't know what they were planning with it. And like I've read the original script of like his original like issue of Dreamwave Beast Wars, and most of it like gets recycled into the Gathering issue one. But there there are some like differences and like you know the 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 show cast is involved which they weren't with the gathering really and like you know the, it's all kind of interesting but i don't know like as a you know standalone like sort of you know preview story like sort of the first one was like what i mean what do you guys like think of it like i i you know i think don figueroa's art is beautiful like i i was really excited to see him draw a beast wars comic and i'm glad he I, I eventually did with the gathering even though you know like i said the show cast wasn't really involved but uh you know what what do you guys think of like you know the setting the setup like whatever else i i think like the the, the biggest issue i had with this story was we were kind of wanting something bigger. Like, especially, like, when they set up, like, it's Megatron on the back of the shuttle. I was like, ooh, could, could, could we go there with these machines and, like, like, actually have a nice bridge of how shit happened? Would Hasbro allow that? That would be so amazing. And then it's a rat trap dream. And, that, and that's fine. It, it, it's like, you know, like, there's been one story in this whole series that is going into an ongoing story, so that's fine. So I can I can let that pass. But the, the thing that was really interesting was is with Beast Wars having such a huge assortment of characters that they could put on screen, it was kind of nice to see Optimus Minor. It was kind of cool to see like you know Bone Crusher. It was cool to see uh, Wolf Fang. Uh, the story with 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 Dinobot and stuff. I I, I think the idea was to kind of hit on that you know unreleased story like Broken Glass or whatever it is, uh, where they kind of go into uh, the the whole Dinobot 2 thing and Dinobot. And I appreciate that for for another fan nod. So I think as far as the setup for a possible Beast Wars series, they went all out. They were like, let's let's really whet the appetite. Braves of the Figueroa art which is beautiful. I mean, he draws a great rat trap. Uh, these modes are like really menacing and cool looking. And, you know, it, it does tie into wanting something more. Whereas the previous story, you're like, I don't want to see this shit ever again. So I think if you approach the story, not just as a story that is supposed to be self-contained, and just like a one-off, like many of these other stories, if you go into it as like, well, what do you want to see next? You're like, you are kind of invested. You're like, yeah, I want to see some more Beast Wars, especially with Figueroa. 
yeah, this is kind of a cool little idea. There's more beasts on the planet, and it, it, it did a good job of selling the concept, I think. I I agree with the assessment of the art. Like, I, I think the art is probably the best art in the entire book. I think that there's, you know, as far as, as selling a new Beast Wars comic series, I think that it, it, it's a nice tease. Like, there's not too much to the story. It, it's like, it's kind of like, oh, Rat Trap has a vision of what we're going to tell stories about. The end. Um, there's there's some bittersweet aspect to watching them still en route to cart off uh, Beast Wars Transmetal, uh, what is it, Transmetal Dragon, whatever form he is, Megatron. Like, because I'm kind of like, oh, like, he's going to get off the bat. You know, it's kind of like Alien 3 Syndrome for me. Like, I'm like, oh, no, he's going to he's gonna get out of that trap on the back, and then he's going to make beast machines. Oh, no. Like, that's that. There, there's some bittersweet aspect about that for me. Um, the other thing in retrospect now, um, I... Bone Crusher is just too grim dark for me, and I know it's not supposed to be the same character, but anytime I see that guy, I think of Bighorn from Beast Wars the Second. And Bighorn from Beast Wars the Second, I love him, like, but he's he's just pure comedy, dude. Like, I mean, he's all about being in love with the squid girl and doing stupid ass shit. So like when he's all like grim dark and looming over r- rat trap like i'm just like no nah, bro like that doesn't that doesn't compute to me anymore like the art's great it conveys exactly what it's supposed to but it's 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 i don't know it, it'd be like ambush bug looking like uh you know grim dark like like all menacing or something and i'm like dude no nah, bro that i'm sorry that don't that doesn't that doesn't fly with me anymore because <laughs> because I'm all big horns like, oh, you know and he's just kind of like about the squid person and I don't know anyway I, I I I that's my own hang up but I just I I can't see him any other way than you know played for comedy so I love the artwork I think it's fantastic I never cared for this story I never cared for the whole was it a dream was it some kind of memory fragment. We'll never know. Like I, I never, I never cared for that aspect at all. So, and you guys can bring out the tomatoes now. This is my least favorite story in this issue. I mean, I, I know, like I kind of, the red story is, it's trash, it's garbage. But I just, I just didn't care for where I thought this was gonna go. I mean, like I had those guys that show up at the end, at the end of the dream memory, whatever. Like I had their toys, but I just. I just wasn't interested in seeing a, a story about a bunch of no-name guys who weren't on the show, like having unknown adventures. I, I don't know. Is that is that weird to like think about? I just I, I don't know. I just wasn't like into that setup. I was like, well, you know, kind of like Derek said. Well, you know, the guys we know and love, they're gonna go have beast machines, and I I hated beast machines. Like when robots in disguise came along, I was like, okay. We're getting back to something I can like sink my teeth into and and, and like I can try and forget about beast machines, which hurt me horribly. <laughs> and I I don't know unless unless it was gonna somehow like override beast machines, which has been a dream of mine for like twenty something years now. Like I just 
I don't know. I just wasn't interested in the setup at all. But like I said, I I think the art is fantastic. Would it would have been more like interesting? <clears throat> like like I said, like you know, like if this is like an interim between Beast Wars and Beast Machine. What if this had been like a story where <clears throat> Megatron does escape, but it's just rat traps his awake, everybody else is like in stasis or whatever, sleeping, and he manages to corral Megatron back and like kind of go outside the shuttle and back him down, but he doesn't do a good job. And like they kind of give that hint at the end. But that'd been like at least something more exciting or I don't know, you know, just like just an idea. Not really, because they would still go to Cybertron and make the base machines, which I hate. We, <laughs> I mean, we can't stop base machines, Justin. I know we want to. I really wish we could. I mean, if if Rat Trap woke can't up, stop the base machines. Yeah, if Rat Trap woke up and was like, "Oh golly gee, Megatron, like you know, he's got an arm free. Oh shit, he's got his other arm free." And then, like, out of the space time, you know, transwarp vortex at the end, if like, uh, Leo Convoy and g1 prime if they all showed up and like rat trap teamed up and they all fought him like i don't care because they're still gonna go to cybertron to make beast machines so it's meaningless <laughs> is, is that what hurt you the most is like like reading this story you still know where it's going to end up like derek said the same thing it's like i guess so it kind of it kind of does because you're you're it's like it, it, uh, i i don't know how to explain it other than it'd be like if uh i don't know like like one of my favorite artists, I don't know, Tom Grummet, Kenneth Roquefort, I don't know, whoever, right, was doing, like, the best prequel to The Last Jedi, and I'm like, man, this art is gorgeous, but it's gonna lead into The Last Jedi. You know, and you're just gonna, like, oh, you know, like, that's, that's, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know any other way to say it other than that. It would be like if, if there was a Star Trek comic set during the events of Star Trek Nemesis, which I hate, and even if it's like a great character piece where it's like Data, like before he makes his little leap across space to like Shinzon's ship, like before he makes that leap, like he has like some kind of heartfelt conversation with like Dr. Crusher or, you know, Nurse Ogawa or something like it might be a fun story, but still like, you know, Data's going to go over there and blow himself up and it sucks. So, I mean, it just. It's kind of like meaningless. I, I I don't know. I don't know how else to look at that. It'd be, it'd be like if there was like a Star Trek show coming out that featured Captain Pike, but we still had to sit through three seasons of a Discovery. <laughs> I, I guess. Um, I, I I don't I don't rate this as hard as Justin and Derek. I understand your feelings. Uh, I'm not going to throw tomatoes. That the figure art really did sell me. It did. It made me want to see more Beast Wars characters. Like, while it might not have got them, it got me. Justin, like, I can agree that I think this, like, out of the four stories, this is the least, like, complete story, I guess. Like, this, even number one, like, even if it was set up for something that was going to happen in the ongoing, at least it was a complete, like, story with, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Megatron went to a planet to achieve an objective, and he does it. And that's the story. Like, this just hints at a bunch of vague shit that it never intends to answer. Like, in it, like you're supposed to, you know, pick up the Beast Wars comic to find out what the fuck everything was about. And it, it never happened. So you can never find out what the fuck it was ever about. Like, the best you can do is read The Gathering, which doesn't actually use, you know, this story. And is just Simon Furman's, like, re- twice recycled ideas. And I'm sorry, I never cared for those 
Beast Wars miniseries. Is the Gathering? What's the second one called? Ascension. Oh, uh, the Ascending. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I never cared for those. I remember yeah, buying them. I remember buying each issue off the the rack to comic book store, and I'm like, okay, it's gonna get better. It's gonna get better. And each miniseries, I was just like, oh, that was that was kind of a nothing. Yeah, I, I like I have a fondness for those, but I can agree that they're not like you know they're they're wastes of potential. I guess like you know they could have well, like they could have been so much better. The thing you took away from those, I think, Mike, is just you have a huge fondness for Razor Beast. Yeah, like I, I think you know when Fer- when Furman doesn't let his cast sprawl out like that, the the casts of those two books are like Jeez. in the dozens, like <laughs> yeah. you know. Like when you when he when he focuses only on a few characters, it's fine. But like when you're throwing every single Beast Wars character that wasn't in the show into the mix, then then you're gonna lose something, I think. But do, do, but yeah. do you think I, I will I will refer to you, defer to you, I should say. Like, do you think there's actually been a quintessential Beast Wars comic yet? I mean, the only Beast Wars comics they've had are like, you know, the fan club sort of stuff like the, you know, the BotCon comics and then the current, like I, and then the gathering and the ascending and then the IDW like current one, which isn't that good either. So, I mean, like not really, like <laughs> that's going the to only... be a negatory rando. So. And, and, like, and I'm always, I'm always like pimping this on, on bot talk or whatever, but I, I would say the only beast wars story that I like outside of the cartoon is Beast Wars Uprising, like the series of like pro stories that like the fan club did like over the course of a couple years. And like I like I love Beast Wars Uprising. I think it's a great like con- like alternate Beast Wars continuity. And not surprisingly, it's good because it doesn't have to tie itself in knots tying like t- back to the like cartoon. Like I feel like all these like Beast Wars stories, like they tie themselves in knots trying to like tie to the cartoon and it never works. Like, oh, this happened in between the cartoon or this one this happened in between the cartoon and Beast Machines and you know this this happened during the cartoon but you didn't see like, you know, I don't like yeah, we all love the cartoon but you don't it's not the end all be all. Like you can tell new stories using the this cast of characters. Right, yeah, and I think that's like one of the biggest. Uh, and like I said, I wasn't asking you that to pimp uh, any specific story because I, I feel the same way. I don't think Beast Wars has been handled with like proper care, um, you know. And the Machinima one, Optimus Primal was almost like a MacGuffin. It was like, oh, he's he's a, he's a gorilla guy. And then you know, in Kingdom, it was like, hey, you know these guys. It was literally a clap. It was like an APSC clap. It was like, I know them. Yay. Stay back. And they didn't really do anything. Um, Not really of no. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like everybody, I think, especially like Transformers fans who grew up in a certain era, um, like us, you know, kind of old fucks, we're, we're, we're waiting for a really good Beast Wars story. You know, like, Continue with it, or or do something new. If you do something new, do, make it interesting. Don't make it like play on our nostalgia, just to play on our nostalgia. But also, there's a way to do nostalgia correctly. There's a way to do fan service to where you're not insulted. It's like I said. I just think it's a waste of potential. Like you know, I, I think you know, if you had like 
Furman and Don Figueroa, like conceptualizing this a uh, Beast War series, like from scratch, instead of like, you know, using scraps from other writers that and trying to like make everything consistent. It could have been a lot better than it turned out. But yeah, and that's, that's really sad because like in this comic, as much as people love to give shit to the uh, Unicron trilogy, like the, the two best stories, at least this will like, you know, help justice position the two best stories are the first two stories mm-hmm. and then we have a completely shit story and then a, then a, the, the final story just did not live up to expectations it wasn't that yeah it was- at the at the very least like derek said i think figueroa is the best artist out of the four like stories so like you know yeah, I, I, I mean it looks good yeah yeah to me i mean i uh, there, there there's that part of me that just wants to say look this story is just a tease, you know, like, so it's like, and I get that the tease was never satiated or, 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 or delivered upon, but like there, there is that part of me that's kind of like, well, th- this is, you know, essentially what a, a eight page preview for some comic that never happened. So it's like th- there, there's going to be a lot of uh, conflicted emotion about, you know what I mean? Like, it's like part of me just wants to say, well, chill the fuck out. Like, this doesn't have to be the greatest story ever. It's just set up for something that we never got. But then since you never got it, and it also sort of canonizes or validates a sequel series to a beloved cartoon that we all hate, there, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that eight-page story. So, and, and, and I don't think it's any baggage that we want to get rid of. We're like, I want my baggage. I need my baggage, you know, so fuck you, you know? I haven't looked at this comic in probably 15 or 16 years. The only two stories that I had any solid memory of was the first one and the last one. I guess because, you know, the first one I liked and the last one I didn't like the story. Like, I had no memory of what the the Inner John and the Robots in Disguise stories were even about. So when I was slipping through it, I was like, oh, yeah, they make up story, They make up lies to Megatron. Yeah, that's what this is. What's the robots in disguise? Uh, they're fighting, and Ultra Magnus is a duty hit. I thought I, I thought you were gonna say, oh, "What's the robots in disguise?" All oh, right, a fucking abomination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and well, I mean, I think this is like this was Dreamwave in a nutshell, really. Like they had so much talent, they had like they had some good artists. You know, like this is where Don Figueroa came from, basically, as a Transformers artist. And they had all this potential, but they just did not know how to put it together. And, you know, IDW has had some, you know, thinkers here and there, you know, they have some issues. But, like, they, they've done a much better, I think, uh, job of handling the license than, than Dreamwave ever did. Well, I mean, they actually, like, you know, paid their artists and shit. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's got to be a yeah. step up. Yeah. They didn't go bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's all. Uh-huh, not about. yet. As of this recording, not yet. And if you're a crazy person and you want to support Pat Lee, he's now hawking uh, NFTs, so yay. (laughs) Yeah. Did you guys, like, did you see the the friggin' press release that he released, like, when he, like, you know, promoted that stuff, where it was like, you know, Pat Lee, who, like, you know... Drew the X-Men. Yeah, he drew, he, it it claims he drew the original North American run of Transformers comics. I was Uh like, what? Like... (laughs) Uh, I was like, well, I mean, if you if you take out Marvel and you take out like, you know, everyone else who was like fluffing him, then maybe that's true. But like, but 
it's like, it's like they, 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 there, there's some like American and British people who are going to be very upset about this. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you know he 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 revived the X Men and the Fantastic Four with his you know awesome art like in the early 2000s. Like, oh, okay, sure, if you say his so. Shitty, his shitty House of M Iron Man story. Yeah. Did did uh, did the press release say superstar? Superstar <laughs> Pat Lee. So I think it, it says celebrity artist Pat Lee. Like it literally says that. <laughs> but basically, Pat Lee, what he did, and this is just like my personal observation, he drew a nostalgic property in a new way at the time that was detailed, even if it was puffy and weird looking in a way. Now, at the time, we were not used to seeing that, so it was exciting. We yeah, were excited like a, for Transformers. We wanted to come back. Yes, we paid money for it. And then we realized he was a piece of shit. So there you go. <laughs> I'm going to start think, calling uh, myself we, Superstar Podcaster, Justin. Superstar Podcaster, Justin. Uh, I'm going to say I'm a celebrity podcaster. <laughs> I, I'm going to send all you guys white beaters and open, like, you got to wear your open uh, uh, button up shirt. White, white button up shirt. Superstar, white trans man, Pat Lee. You, you know what you need to do, Tony. You need to NFT our um, our fan holes. You know, five shot uh, banner or whatever, and sell it right, for yeah, a gajillion, a gajillion billion crypto cred or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, this is gonna go out in history, man. You're gonna want to own this at some point, guys. You got to get on this like NFT. I mean, it's it's, it's digital. It's digital shit, man. It, it's out there, but you can't own it because it's mine. So you gotta. You gotta send me and Derek uh, uh, shit tons of money, cause and Mike and Justin, cause I drew all the. I'll send Brian money. I drew him in there. Shit. <laughs> Brian's gonna get a check out of nowhere. Like what the fuck? Brian's like, <laughs> why did I get a check for like five cents? You're being generous, uh, Justin. I say three cents probably. <laughs> oh, here I, I found the the press release that Pat Lee released for. Uh, oh, he was doing some like uh, pay to play like online like card game or something like here let me read the press release just for a laugh here one of the most distinctive features of god temple is its top quality artwork which is created by celebrity artist pat lee the north american artist redesigned a series of mythical greek gods and instilled new elements into this nft game over the past two decades, Pat did stints with DC and Marvel Comics, working on such mega franchises as Batman, Superman, Iron Man, X-Men in all caps, uh, Fantastic Four, Wolverine, Punisher, and Spider-Man. He also created the original North American series of Transformers comics, <laughs> which ranks number one top-selling comic six months in a row, which isn't true, as we discussed when, on our show with Shag. Yeah. It, it was like what, Derek? Four months in a row? Like not three? Yeah. Like yeah. What DC work did he do? Did he do anything? Uh, he he did he did bat. I mean he did the Batman slash Superman title. So that's not that's okay. not un that's not untrue, right? I have no memory like, of that. So. Yeah, he, he. I think he did an issue. I want to say it, it might have not even been with Batman and Superman. It might have been with like like Connor and and. Tim, I, I don't know. My my memory of it is vague, but I, I I think he did like a couple, you know, fill in issues of of uh, Batman Superman. I would say his credentials as far as what he's worked on are completely true, but his exaggeration of how well they were received 
is a different story. <laughs> it was like, I worked on a book. It was great. Everybody loved it. Everybody's like, no, not so much. Yeah, I mean, we 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 give we give Pat Lee his due credit that he he you know he helped revive Transformers like in the comic book industry. I mean, but you know when you're going back to it, you would you know think how, how much cooler it would have been if someone with like you know some actual like talent and skill was like the one who launched that. What I'm saying is like anyone could have done it with a similar level of skill, like in, in the, those resources. Remember these, both the cartoon and the toy ruled the toy store markets in the early eighties. Hasbro sold Dreamwave the comic license a few years back. And now these two brothers are raking in over a million dollars a year. Money being spent on fast cars and fancy toys. When the book came out first day or second day, it was sold out. So we were like, wow, you know, like, I think we're doing something right. Millions and billions of warriors. It's hard work. But making comics isn't all fun and games. Both brothers have shown a business acumen well beyond their 20-something years. Question number one. What was your overall business plan? Uh, um, uh, business plan, uh, yes. I keep it here, right next to my heart. This isn't a business plan. It's an escape plan. Song suckers! If you are smart and you like to make things go, you can find us over on panelspodcast.blogspot.com. And if you want to check out the backlog of episodes of Transformers Tuesdays, you can download them directly at fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. And you can email us at fanholspodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us angry, angry emails like how dare you uh, insult superstar artist Pat Lee. Or you can tell us what your favorite story from the Dreamwave Summer Special is. And we will be sure not to read that on air sometime in the future. If you want to check us out on uh, social media, we're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the hearts, likes, shares, and retweets that we receive. And we can be found on all kinds of streaming or on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and I think an Amazon Music. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's where we are. Sweet. So, uh, yeah, uh, capping off our show on the Dreamwave Summer Special, this is Mike uh, signing off. This is Derek, Derek WC, uh, Energon Corrupting... Pat Lee, Jimma Jamas, right. <laughs> this is Superstar Podcaster Justin signing off. Hello, Toadred. Thank you for coming to Camp Crusty and also Dreamwave Comics. I'll be your superstar artist, Mr. Black. <laughs> so pretty, cool cat looking for a kitty. Gonna look in every corner of the city. Till I'm wheezing like a bus stop running up the stairs. Gonna meet you on the rooftop. But at night it's a different world. Go out and find a girl. Come on, come on, if that's all night. Despite the heat, it'll be alright. And babe, don't you know it's a pity the days can't be like the nights in the summer. In the city, in the summer, in the city.
It doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city All around people looking half dead Walking on the sidewalk harder than a match yeah. But now it's a different world Go out and find a girl Come on, come on, we'll dance all night Despite the heat, it'll be all right And babe, don't you know it's a pity The days can't be like the nights In the summer, in the city Summer uh, sorry, I gotta post another thing in the chat box. Look, you can buy a figure of the world's strongest man. <laughs> what? what is, damn, are you strong or are you strong? <laughs> Dude, that guy's pretty strong. I mean, speaking of uh, high cost for an itty bitty little witty. Yeah. I mean, what sixty bucks for fucking Krillin? Jesus Christ. But he's Stong. He's the Stongest. <laughs> he's the Stongest. He's Earth Stongest. That's why all these fucking assholes. Now you're giving me flashbacks. Krillin would beat the fuck out of fucking Superman. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, all this fucking dumb shit. Fuck these people. They got it right in the product description, but not in the, like, the main <laughs> lead in. <laughs> yeah. Like, the thing that gets your attention to buy it. Like, oh. Oh, like big bad. What like, is like strongest? Krillin <laughs> could totally take out, like, you know, Daniel LaRusso from, like, Karate Kid. No problem. <laughs> she, she likes, if I, if I remember correct, she likes men with big, thick, hairy arms. She only likes the strongest men. Strongest. <laughs> <laughs> stand up too quick and get dizzy what's with that i was like oh come on i can't take it anymore i gotta make fun of this jeez <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever eat ice cream too fast and your head has an ouchie <laughs> you mean uh the i'm in danger ouchie. <laughs> i'm in danger <laughs> the strongest ouchie like <laughs> Do they still make episodes of Jason the Wheeled Warriors? You know, I haven't seen one in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to the bathroom really quick. Sure. Actually, you know what? I'll just do that just because. Absolutely. My bladder is made of iron, so... Your bladder is the strongest, and ours is. I have the strongest bladder. You do go to the bathroom, you just look at the urine going out and go, bye. Bye. See you later, Sunny Bye, urine.